We'll be continuing our series in Colossians. We'll be in chapter 2 this morning. I'll be reading verses 6 and 7 this morning. Colossians 2, chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Thus says the word of the Lord. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. You may be seated. Maybe we'd be blessed by the reading of God's word this morning. grateful to be with you this morning. Two quick announcements, then I'll pray, and then we'll jump into Colossians uh, chapter 2. Please mark your calendars for June the 13th. Um, Brother Steve Turner will join us, and he will be preaching for us. Um, Brother Steve Turner was uh, a jack-of-all-trades, is what I, I've been told here when his time here. He was here for about five or six years. He was the uh, minister of music. He was the uh, youth pastor um, I met him at a conference not too long ago, and he still has great uh, love for this place. And so he'll be in town for our uh, national convention, uh, the Southern Baptist Convention, which is being held this year in uh, Nashville. Um, and so he'll be in a few days before that to come and preach to us and then be at the convention. You can be praying for the convention this year. There's a lot of topics that are coming uh, before the Southern Baptist that will have huge implications uh, for the directions of the Southern Baptist. So we just pray that God's will will be done in that. The last announcement is mark your calendars for June the 21st through the 25th. Uh, that's VBS starting 6 uh, p.m. to 8.15 p.m. So that's June the 21st through June the 25th. So mark your calendars for those two events. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and then jump into God's holy inspired word. Would you pray with me this morning? God, I'm grateful for you, for your word uh, that you've given to us. I pray that your word this morning would do exactly what when the prophet Isaiah promised it would do. It would not come back void. And so I pray, God, that as your word falls on our ears and on our hearts, that it would be the seed that we plant in our lives to produce a fruit that will glorify you. God, if we know you, trust you, obey you as believers, I pray that would come in the form of sanctification, that we would continue uh, to become more and more like your son as you, as you tell us uh, to be holy as he is holy. And God, then I pray if there's anyone uh, watching online or in this building this morning that has not trusted and obeyed you through the call of their life to give their life and obedience to you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that that would uh, take root uh, through this seed this morning. So we ask that you do what only you can do, and that's transform us. So lead us, guide us, uh, give us eyes and ears and hearts to receive your word this morning. I pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Just two short verses this morning. Um, I can't promise that means it's going to be a short message, though I've been uh, some people have been giving me a hard time that I've been going uh, 40 or 45 minutes. I don't think that's true. I went back and looked. It might have been 39 minutes uh, at best. I'm just saying. Uh, this morning, though, we'll, we'll spend two, uh, two verses. And this is the, the hinge or the turning point of the letter of 
Colossians, many theologians believe this is the, the theme verse of the letter. Um, this is where Paul, in his letter to this young church, has been talking about, but this turning point is going to say this is the application of what it means that Christ is supreme over all things. That's what he's been telling us in the first two uh, a, a chapter in uh, five verses, if you will, in chapter two, that Christ is supreme, that he holds all things together. And now Paul is going to say this is the application to that. And the application is what we would call the Christian life. How are we to live out the Christian life? Uh, if you know anything and have any ear to the news uh, right now or in society, there, there's two things that are in conflict with one another. The two conflicts are this. Uh, the stats say this, that the church in America for the first time in its history is in a decline. That for the first time in American history, we have less than 50% of Americans going to any kind of church. Not, not just a Baptist church, but any kind of church. So there's this decline in our religious beliefs, if you will, or at least convictions to go and gather with God's people. But at the same time, the, the numbers say that more people say they know Christ. So how are those two things true? And I would say it's because we don't understand what it truly means to live the Christian life. That Paul is going to tell us what it really means to be a believer, what that looks like. So if we're honest with ourselves, this for us this morning, we are to take a test. What does our lives look like in relation to what Paul says, not what, what the world says? Because the world's going to tell us a definition of the Christian life that is contrary to what Paul, the apostle, says that Christ says the Christian life is all about. And so I want to talk to us this morning about three things. Three tests, if you will, three indicators of the Christian life. The first point will be in verse 6, the very first few words. The, the, in, the, um, the indicators of the Christian life. A signpost, if you will. The next point is the half, last half of verse 6. The imperatives of the Christian life. And finally, we'll look at the implications of the Christian life. So the signpost of a Christian life, right? So what I mean by that statement is, if you pull into McDonald's, you know it's McDonald's because of the sign out front. No one wants to pull into McDonald's. Well, period, probably nobody wants to pull into McDonald's, period. But if you pull into McDonald's, you, you don't want them to specialize in a taco. You go next door to Taco Bell or even better, the taco shop down the road. So this is an indicator of what the Christian life is. So Paul is going to say to us, this is what it means first to be a believer. And then he's going to say, this is the imperatives. This is what ought to happen in us if we're going to live the Christian life. And then he's going to say the implications that come out of that are the application that comes out of the Christian life. So let's look first at what is the sign of the Christian life. Paul says it this way. Therefore, anytime you hear, see, read the word, therefore, it's the connection of what Paul had just said, not just the previous five verses in this text, but the previous chapter. Therefore, because of all that Christ has is and he's done for you this is what it looks like paul says 
that you have received Christ Jesus the Lord. So in this passage, Paul is going to say, hey, you've received something. You've now been given something. Just the word receive doesn't mean you go get it. When you receive something, what Paul says in another verse, it's a free gift that's been given to you. So you've been given this gift of Christ. That's your salvation that's been freely given to you. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. You weren't owed it, but Christ gave it to you freely. You freely were given this Christian life. Well, we're going to get to the end of the passage. That ought to, just that verse, just those few words ought to stir some emotion in us. If you were a believer here this morning, that you would have, uh, the, that God would pour out his kindness in such a way that he would give you this free gift of this Christian life, ought to do something for us. And so what does he say that you received? The, the word received there doesn't simply mean that you've been getting something, but you also now will, as Paul's going to say in a few moments, that you would, it's this ongoing relationship that you have with Christ. It's not just that you receive Christ when you walked in awe, but now you are receiving Christ on a daily basis. So Paul is saying to us in this passage, you've received this gift and you're having this ongoing reception of this gift. I wonder how often we think and mark in our Bibles the day of our salvation. Praise God for that. That's only one, one third of your salvation. You see, when you look at God's word, there's three parts to salvation. There, there's the justification part of your salvation. The justification part of your salvation is this, that now God, through Christ, declares you're justified before holy God. That's your justification. But our salvation, Paul talks about, is not just our justification. It's also what Paul talks about, and this is what he's going to get into in this two verses, is what I prayed for, for our sanctification, the ongoing process of becoming like Christ. So you're justified before holy God. Now you're being sanctified on a daily basis to become more like him. That's two-thirds. The last third, if you will, of your salvation is what the writers say is your glorification. That's the day that you, because you're justified, because you're sanctified, now you enter into heaven and there is this glorification that happens. There's the removal, the presence, and the power of sin at all at one time. That is your glorification. And so Paul primarily in his writings, does not just simply talk about justification. He talks about his sanctification, or your and my sanctification. And now Paul's going to say, because you, you've received this salvation, you, what did you receive at your justification? You received three things, he says. Three things happened in our salvation. Look at the three things that Paul says we have received. The three, there are three small words, but have huge implications in our life. First, he says, you received Christ. Then he says, you received Jesus. And then finally, he says, you received the Lord. At your salvation, at your justification, you received Christ in his fullness. Christ, the Messiah, Christ in his humanity, and finally, Christ the Lord. 
most writers say this about this passage. This is the time that we see Christ in his fullness. Writers say it this way, that we received him as both as, as prophet, as priest, and king. There is a teaching that is, says we don't have to, we can receive him as savior, but we don't have to receive him as king. That, that's impossible. We have to receive him in his fullness, prophet, priest, and king. That is an indicator of your Christian life. Have you received Christ as your prophet, your priest, and your king? This is what Billy Graham, the greatest evangelist outside the Apostle Paul, in my opinion, says about this verse. He says this, No man can be said to, to be truly converted to Christ who has not bent his will to Christ. He may give intellectual assent to the claims of Christ, and he may have emotional religious experience. However, if he is not truly converted unto his surrendered, his will to Christ as Lord, Savior, and Master, he is no believer at all. So the Billy Graham, the greatest evangelist, says, one of the signposts in your life and in my life is this. Have you received Christ as prophet, priest, and king? Or as Billy Graham says, your Lord, your Savior, and ultimately your Master. So application on that first part of the verse 6 is this. How have you received Christ? Just as your Savior? Just as intellect or out of fear of not going to hell? Paul said it has to be the totality of all of them. He has to be your prophet. He has to be your priest. And he has to be your king or your Lord, Savior, and Master. How have you received Christ today? And now Paul gets into the imperatives of this text. If you have received him, he says this. If you've truly received him, then he says this. So what? Walk with him my greatest fear in uh, the american church is many have received him but few walk with him and paul says you cannot just receive him if you do not what walk with him that's my greatest fear Jesus himself says it this way. Many, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, we did all these things in your name. And Jesus himself will say, get away from you because I don't even know you. I believe what Jesus is saying is you receive me, but you don't walk with me. See, it's imperative that we walk with Christ. You see, your salvation is not the finish line of your life. It's the starting blocks of your life. It's what the writer of Hebrews says. We want to run with endurance the race that was set out before us. See, at our salvation is as if God is sitting at the starting line with the gun. He pulls the trigger, and it's what pushes us into this race. But so many people see salvation as the finish line. That's the shortest race I've ever seen in my life. See, the hard work in our salvation is this part of the process. It's the walking with Christ. And it's 
not just simply walking with him, but it's walking with him daily. Meaning you cannot do this Christian life alone. Paul says what? Walk with him. He doesn't say walk by yourself. He doesn't even say walk with other people. He says we, if we're believers, it's an imperative that we walk with him. It has in its core, in the Greek, this word, it's a daily walking with him. Remember what Jesus himself, daily you take up your cross. This is a daily struggle to walk with God. But here's the greatest part of walking with him. We aren't walking alone. He is walking with us. Praise God for that. So that when we get weary and we get tired and we get disturbed, let's just turn to our side and see who is walking with us. Jesus has said this, Paul says this about Jesus, in every way, this is the Todd International Version, in every way, Christ has experiences your discouragement. Everything that you and I have gone through, Christ himself has gone through it. So Christ can walk with us through our discouragement. Why? Because he's been there. Have you ever been with people that have never gone through your experience? And and they're talking and giving advice, and you're like, man, what a waste of my time. Just please stop talking. Now, we'd never say that. We're too nice about that, right? But Jesus can say, me too. He is the first person to be in the Me Too movement. Yes, I said that out loud. Because he's been through everything we've been through. Because he can walk in it with us because he's been through it the same way. It's what Jesus says about himself in John chapter 15. John chapter 15 is one of the greatest chapters about what it means to be in Christ, in Christ, in us. He uses this word over and over and over and over again in John chapter 15. I would encourage you to read that chapter this week. Take a pen, highlighter, and mark all the places in that chapter where this one little word talks about abiding. He says that I abide in you and you abide in me. It's this idea of grafting together. And if you graft a tree together, You cannot separate that tree. And so Jesus is saying, when you walk with me or you abide with me, we are grafted together. Nothing can separate us. And I would ask this question to you this morning. Are you abiding with Christ today? Are you walking with him? John, again, in his letter in 1 John chapter 2 says this. He he answers the question, why do we abide in him? We abide in him. He says this, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk, how? In the same way in which he walked. So the question I have for you, the question I have for myself, does my walking look like Christ? Here's here's the hope and the promise. If I'm walking with Christ, I'm going to become more and more and more like Christ. But I've got to abide in him. I I don't don't just want to pray a prayer for my salvation. I want to. I have a desire to become more and more like Christ. Do you not? The only way to do that is abiding in him. The primary way, you'll get tired of me saying this, the primary way that we abide in Christ 
is through his word. I would ask you today, how often are you abiding in this? This is what it means to walk with him. Are you abiding in Christ? Are you walking with him today? In the last part of this two small, powerful verses are the implications or the applications or the reward of what it means for us to receive Christ and to walk in him. He says this in Colossians chapter 2, verse 7. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught. What happens when we receive Christ? What happens when we walk with Christ are three things. The first thing is this, that you will be rooted in him. That is a promise. When we receive him and we walk with him, we are rooted with him. Think of that just for a moment. It's now time to, well, probably past time. I'm no farmer or gardener. It's past time that you have to have planted seeds in a garden. The hope is what? Those seeds have what? Begin to take root so that you can have fruit or vegetables. But the promise is that if we receive Christ, we walk with Christ, we will take root in that rich soil and we will produce fruit. We are rooted in Him. It's our foundation. This is what the psalmist says and then the prophet Jeremiah say about this idea of being rooted. It says, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. What, what the writer of Psalms is saying here is, when we forsake the world and we turn our back on the world, and we don't root ourselves in the world, world but we root ourselves where, he says in verse 3 or 2, he says, but we delight in the law of the Lord. And in his law, we meditate day and night. When we walk with the Lord, he says this. He is like what? He is like a tree that is firmly planted or that has taken root. So he's saying if we forsake the world, we walk with the Lord and we walk and meditate on his law, then we will be like a tree that is firmly planted or has taken root. We're going to get to it in a moment, but he's going to make another application about what it looks like when the roots take its place. One writer, I I am no horticulturalist, said this about uh, the root system of a tree. He, He says this, that what you see on top is what you would see underneath. And then some. And I just wonder for us, church, how does our lives look beneath the surface if what is on the surface looks what it looks like? And then we wonder how come at every trial and tribulation and turbulence does our tree blow over? Because we have no what? Root system. The roots are what give power to the tree to withstand the winds. 
has your life and has my life been firmly planted by the streams of water? And then the writer goes on in verse 3, he says this, which yields fruit in its season, and the leaves do not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. Jeremiah the prophet said this in Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 5 through 8, he says this, This says the Lord, curses the man who trusts in man, and makes his flesh his strength, whose, tur- whose heart turns away from the Lord. Again, the writer in verse 5, Jeremiah is talking about the man that trusts in the, the world. He says this, he is like a, 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 a juniper bush or a, a shrub in the desert. And it shall not see any good come. It shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness and in the withered salt land. He's saying, if you've trusted in man, if you've trusted in the Lord, you're you're like a shrub tree that has no root system. It's as if you're a tumbleweed. If you've ever seen a tumbleweed, all a tumbleweed is is just a dead bush that has lost its root system, gained momentum, and now blows wherever the wind takes it across the prairie. I wonder how many of us would be like that if we're honest. But then the writer gives us great promise and great hope. He says this in verse 7. Blessed is the man that what? Trusts in the Lord or walks with the Lord or delights in the Lord. Whose trust in the Lord, he is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the streams. And it does not fear when the heat comes for its leaves remain green. It's exactly what Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 7. Are you rooted in Christ? That's the first thing that Paul says. That we must be rooted in Christ. If we're going to have this Christian life. He then goes on and says this. Not only are we rooted in Christ, but what? We are built up in Christ. We have a firm foundation. In Christ. That metaphor is a building metaphor. That we are being built upon something other than ourselves. That we are being built up. Just like this uh, massive building that's going up on 840 in West Jefferson. They had to get a foundation laid in place first. Before they started building on top of it. I remember early on when I had the opportunity to go to... um, the memorial of 9-11. It was within a few years of after the fall. And I remember looking in the, the, the massive chasm that they were digging just for the, 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 the foundation was overwhelming. But they knew what they were going to build on top of that. So therefore, they knew their foundation had to be super solid. I wonder for us, church, what our foundation looks like this morning and the last thing he says is this not only are we to be rooted that will happen not only will we be built up in christ but we we will what be established in christ we will have the certificate that we have persevered through all of it jesus says it this way about being rooted about being built up and about being established. This is at the very end of 
the greatest sermon ever preached in the world, the Sermon on the Mount. What Jesus was doing in that sermon was saying, this is what you've been told life is like, but I'm here to tell you what life is all about. And then he ends the sermon with this parable. You know the parable well. He says, if anyone hears these words of mine and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. But then Jesus says this, And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and, it, and great was the fall of it. So my question to you, my question to me, my question to this church is this. Are we rooted in Christ today? Are we being built up in Him today? And are we established in our faith in Him today? Are we the wise man who's built our house on the rock? Or are we the foolish man who's built our house on the sand? The way that would look like is this. The foolish man is simply the man that prayed a prayer and did nothing with the prayer. That they didn't allow the rest of the process to take over. Or are we the wise man that prayed a prayer, received Christ, and has walked with him daily? Because here's the promise of the text. Here's the promise of what Paul's going to say on in the rest of his letter. The trials, the tribulation, the hardship, it's all going to come. That is a promise. All of us in this building will face those things, or we're facing those things today. You will only be able to weather the tribulation, the trials, the storms, if you are walking with Christ, and if you've received salvation, if not, your house will fall, and great will be the fall. So I'll ask this question in closing. Three questions this morning are this. First, have you received Christ today? Because if you've not received Him, there is a fall coming for you. That's the first question you and I have to answer. Have you received Christ? Have your eyes and heart been open to the truth of the gospel? The second question I would say, if you've received Christ, this would probably be for the majority of us in the room this morning. Are you walking with him daily? Which leads me to the third one. Are you rooted in him? Are you being built up with him? And have you been established in Christ today? Because then our response will be what Paul says at the end. At the end of verse 7, he says this. Just as you were taught, now that you are what? Abounding with thanksgiving. You see, our salvation, our sanctification, ought to lead us to a place of ongoing thankfulness. Thank God for our salvation. 
Are we abounding with thanksgiving because of what Christ has done in us? Here's what is true. The more you read God's word, two things will happen. You will see how holy God is. You will be overcome with the character of God. Which would leave you in a state of awe of who he is. That's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin will be this. You will begin to realize who you are. Fallen, depraved, sinful, wicked, running in the opposite direction of God. That's what God's word will reveal to you. But then what will also be, you'll also see, is how a loving God would rescue and save a disastrous sinner like you and me, which ought to lead us to thanksgiving. We are bound for hell, but because of what God has done for us through Christ Jesus, we now have eternity, a promise to be with him forever. That ought to lead us in what Paul says, we ought to be abounding with thanksgiving this morning. Let me pray. God, I pray first for those in the room who have not received you. As Christ, Jesus, the Lord. If there's anyone here that's watching online or in this building that has not received Christ today, I, I pray that today would be the moment they would receive you as their prophet, their priest, and their king. They would surrender their will and their life over to your care. And God, I pray for us in the room that have placed our hope and faith and lives into your hand. I pray that we would continually walk with you. And as we walk with you, we would continue to be rooted in you. We would have a firm foundation in you and we would be established in you. That would lead us every day with an overflowing thankfulness of this great gift that you freely gave to us, our salvation. So lead us, guide us this morning. Pray. Amen. If you're here this morning, you don't know Christ, I'll be up front. I'd love to share the gospel message with you. If you're here this morning, you just need prayer that you are um, just struggling in your walk with him. You're struggling to walk with him. Uh, the pressures of life are, are on you. Find me, find one of the, our deacons. We'd love to pray with you as well. Let us rejoice for what God has done for us. Would you guys stand this morning? Turn to heaven and spoke your name.
May Christ dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, to know that the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we have ever asked or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church, in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Grace and peace to you today.